1: We'll send it up into the sky we're calling it Parks and Recollection Come on little podcast Spread your wings and fly
2: Welcome everybody to Parks and Recollection um, Alan Yang is here I am here uh, That means we're going to do this It's going to happen And we have a particularly good funny episode they're all funny. They're all good. I don't want to make it sound like, well, listen, I'll be very clear about the ones that I think are like super deep, but they're all good. That's why we're doing this show in the first
3: place. Wouldn't you say? It's a pleasure to watch. It's a pleasure to watch. We got the personnel here today, Rob. We're going to do the show. It's, it's, this is a fun one. What, uh, what do we got in the, in the barrel today? The episode is called The Possum. Episode 18 of season two first aired March 11th, 2010. Written by the legend Mike Scully, mm. former Simpsons showrunner. One of the funniest human beings on Earth. Directed by Tristram Shapiro, the elegantly named Tristram Shapiro. Tristram. Tristram Shapiro is a British man. Um, He's a British director. And to me, the, uh, the writer and director of this episode... Their names uh sort of embody an American name and a British name, right? The American dude's name is Mike Scully. The British dude's name, Tristram Shapiro. <laughs> and by the way, his la- he might as well be named Benedict Cumberbatch. It's yes, like, like- the most British name I've ever heard. His last name is spelled by the way S H A P E E R O, not I R O. So it is a it, I'm basking in Tristram's name. I every time I see it, it makes me laugh a little bit. It's a great name. It's a good name. Shall we get into the synopsis, Rob? Yeah, cuz I love well, here's the thing. Is it
2: opossum, opossum, or possum? Because in the show, when you're dealing with the possum, because you're about to read the title, that's why I'm, I'm just checking yes. here. Yes. Um, and I don't want you to be wrong. Yes. What the fuck? So, what the possum, opossum? Can somebody just tell, what's going on with that? So, I'll, I have your answer.
3: Okay. I have your answer. Both possum and opossum correctly refer to the Virginia opossum frequently seen in North America. In common use, possum is the usual term. In technical or scientific contexts, opossum is preferred. Opossum can be pronounced with its first syllable either voiced or silent. That's very complicated. Wow. Wait, so what? you can actually say, that is, you know what, Merriam-Webster, that is so complicated. Read it again. It's really good. <laughs> what is it? Yeah. Opossum can be pronounced with its first syllable—that's the O, I guess—either voiced or silent. Now that makes no sense. How can you that pronounce just, it silently? Now it, it feels like Merriam-Webster is playing a joke on us because that doesn't—that doesn't make any sense. So wait, wait, I have a different take here. By the way, Possums, <laughs> the opus opus—I'm just laughing because this is totally different. The opossum is a mammal belonging to the family of marsupials located in North America. Possums, on the other hand, are marsupials of Australian origin. What? Uh, So this is a different take. The possums were given that name because of their close resemblance to the opossums of North America. You know, I feel like, at the, now I feel like one of those people who's researching, like, a controversial topic on the internet and just getting bombarded by misinformation. Yes. Now, now, now I'm being gaslit. Yes. Like, oh, so, I'm looking, actually, at photos. If you look up at opossum, that's what you think about. A possum, there's an Australian animal called the possum, and it looks totally different. But I do agree with Merriam-Webster in the sense that if you say possum, people think you're talking about opossums. It's so I, I've, I, I've now gotten so lost in the logic. I feel like I, we've both uh, in the process of this conversation gotten dumber. Like, I feel like yeah. we, we now know less than we did before. And that is kind of what happens when you read too much Internet. So I, <laughs> I feel I feel very confused. And uh, so there we go. I, I, by the way, I was a biology major. I still don't know what the hell just happened. But yeah, well, tell me what happens in <laughs> um, the episode. Let's go to the synopsis. All right. Buckle up, my synopsis sisters and brothers. Here we go. After the infamous possum, Fairway Frank, bites Mayor Gunderson's dog, <laughs> Rufus, at a golf course. <laughs> you you got to love that intro to an episode. Merrill Representative Evelyn, played by Judith Moreland, asks Leslie to form a task force to capture the animal. Task force? Leslie task force? Ta- a tasks, task force. She's very excited about that. Leslie, Tom, and Andy, and two incompetent animal control workers, Harrison Brett, Yes played by Harris Whittles and Colton Dunn, go to the golf course and quickly find the animal. The animal control workers are useless, and Tom immediately runs away, but Andy dives toward the animal and captures it. Evelyn is impressed with Leslie and promises her a special favor from the mayor's office. However, Leslie sees a second opossum and fears (laughs) they have captured the wrong animal. She later finds out that the mayor doesn't care about catching Fairway Frank, but rather about securing a trophy animal for his bathroom. Meanwhile, back at the department office, reporter Shauna Malway-Tweeb, Allison Becker, interviews Andy for the newspaper article. After he brags about the capture, the reporter suggests his heroics might win him back the affections of Anne. April overhears this and leaves, upset. Evelyn demands delivery of Fairway Frank, and Leslie refuses. She creates a ketchup blood diversion, that old thing, so that April can escape with the caged animal. Leslie and April take the possum to Anne's home, where April has been paid $50 to house it. April lets the opossum out of its cage, and it causes havoc. While hiding from the animal, April reveals her feelings about Andy to Leslie for the first time. Andy, still oblivious, delivers coffee to April as well as the day's newspaper containing a story which credits April for providing moral support to Andy. It is later revealed that Leslie has donated the opossum to the Pawnee Zoo. Meanwhile, we're not quite done. The B story. Ron plans a woodshop expansion in his home and seeks the approval of city planner Mark. Mark. Mark informs Ron that his inspection is needed. During the inspection, Mark finds numerous code violations and helps bring the wood shop up to city code. Ron thanks Mark at the end of the episode by building a wooden canoe and leaving it in his office. Wow, that is packed. That is packed. One of the longer synopses I've ever read. And that's, but yes. and that's a. Hopefully, the listeners are still
2: with us. Um, no, no, no. That's not a, an indictment of your reading of it. It's just a. Very long synopsis on a half an hour. It's a show. long.
3: It's it's a it's a long sis. It's I call them sisses now. It's a long. It's, I'm shortening synopsis so that we have time for the rest of the episode after that long sis. Yeah, it was a long sis. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> fair. The name Fairway Frank made me laugh. I don't know why. It's yeah. So it's were there a lot of pitches for fair? For I, I imagine those are the kind of things where you guys pitch five billion different names
3: yes yes I mean the alliteration is pleasant yes. and uh, it, it just makes you think of like a it almost makes me think of a hot dog because <laughs> it <Fairway Frank, laughs> you know right it's like it's not a hot dog but it sounds like one it's like a ballpark Frank um yeah but that's the kind of thing it's also f- fits the Venn diagram of of a little bit funny and a little bit cute it's a little bit adorable it's kind of that's the parks and Rec target right it's right. like a little bit funny a little bit cute yeah, a little bit, uh, a little bit adorable. All those things. I
2: also, it also sounds like something. If it has a name like that, that I'm not so sure. Yeah, I know it bit the neighbor, the 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 mayor's dog, but like Fairway Frank is kind of a
3: community legend at that golf course it feels like a i little know bit. it's it's almost like they're hunting little sebastian oh kill. no don't even <laughs> like say it like, <laughs> don't even I say mean, it <laughs> i mean that's brutal but yeah this fairway frank sounds like a mascot it's like have them around but but it's it's also like kind of in the tone of the show that there is this possum that has a name and they just like it's known it's like that possum is a celebrity oh yeah fairway frank it's like they know it that's very bizarre i can't imagine that's the case in very many real towns but yeah it works for this show um, the, uh,
2: there's so many funny things in, in this episode. I mean, the, you know, Aziz and his golf outfits, it's pretty dope. The classic, the fact that Aziz has no idea, clearly no idea how to play golf or putt. There's a scene where he's putting and he's like, his body's contorted into putting positions that no human has ever seen before.
3: He really, truly doesn't know how to play. I don't think he's played golf in his life. So, um, he's, he's just in it for the outfits. He's just in it for the outfits. By the way, that's as good a reason as any. I mean there's also some some great guest appearances in this one Uh, obviously Harrison Brett from Animal Control also their boss uh, played by Paul Ratchi I believe his name is nominated for an Oscar for Sound of Metal so there's an Oscar nominee in this episode
2: it's one of my favorite things of all time he which is what You know, not to get too highfalutin or model or whatever, but like what's great. We, As you know, I I have a a complicated relationship with with the business. If you've listened to my podcast or read my books or spent any time, you know, like I love to knock the shit out of it because there's a lot that deserves it. But on the other side of it, you've got this kind of amazing story. And here's an actor who's been around forever. He's got two lines. In a Parks and Rec episode. And within a few years he's going to be nominated for an academy award and that's the, that's the kind of stuff that's really is great about our business truly
3: it it gives you goosebumps cuz think about how long he's been acting you know he's just been kicking around going to auditions it's it's a grind it is a grind to be that kind of actor who is like you're, maybe you're not the leads of shows or movies maybe you're not even a series regular on a show And you're just going to these auditions every day of your life, every day of your life. And then you get, and then, you know, later on in your life, that like you said, you're nominated for an Oscar and, you you know, roles are probably starting to come your way and it can happen at any time. At any time. It's, it's it's really wild. It's like, life is long. Life
2: is long in that sense. I always say, don't, don't, don't become an actor unless you can help yourself. Like of the Screen Actors Guild, 97% of the members cannot support themselves as an actor. 97% 97%
3: of the members. Nine, and those, those, are, those are just counting members, like you said. 97%. It's thousands of people. And, um, I, I, and honestly, just to, just to chime in, I don't think I really fully appreciated it till I, I started dating my girlfriend, who, who's a working actor. Because it, it, look, from my side of it, as a writer, yes, you experience a lot of rejection, right? You inspir- especially early on in your career, For an actor, it's a whole other level because they're rejecting you. (laughs) You are driving around town. Honestly, you, you are driving around town. It's your face. It's your voice. It's your body. It's everything. And they experience that rejection constantly, like constantly until you're literally like a movie star and you're getting straight offers. To to bring it back to Paul Rachi, yeah, he has two two lines in this episode, you know, and it's like you just never know. You just it, it's and and but but by the way, roles like this sustain you, and residual sustain you yes. too, right? Every time this episode airs, Paul Rachi gets a little bit of money. You know, he pay a little rent. And if so. you haven't
2: seen him in um, uh, the Sound of Metal, it, it it's it, by far my favorite performance of the year.
3: Like not even close. He's
2: not even phenomenal. Close.
3: He's phenomenal. His scenes with Riz, and I know Riz a little bit. Uh, Riz Ahmed, who was also nominated for an Oscar in that movie, R- the scenes with him and Riz are unbelievable. <laughs> they're, they're so good. Yep. Um, so, kudos to Paul. Congratulations. And, and, and uh, glad to have you as part of our Parks and Rec family. You're very proud. Cool. Very proud to claim him. You know, this was a somewhat difficult one to break in the room. We, it's, 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 it's kind of tangentially about the death penalty, right? That's like weirdly, <laughs> yes. like it's a very strange, like, you know, it's not a very serious show in general, Parks and Rec. You know, it's not, it's, it, we don't take on super, super weighty issues generally, but, but I think the origin of this one was kind of like, She's not sure whether she should, you know, send this animal to its death, basically, which is kind of, you know, it's a it's a dark topic. But you know, we we kind of just made it a wacky a wacky episode instead. So you know, it was you know, one of the ideas early on in the show was, can we take these kind of you know more serious political issues and and do our sort of silly version of it? And I think this is one of the episodes that resulted from those conversations.
2: And of course, the animal control. I mean, you you know, there's you know DJ Roomba. Animal Control, we're talking about my favorite things on the show. Those two, why are they... And they don't say a ton in this episode. And they don't do a ton. But why are they so funny
3: together? What is that? (laughs) It's it's that thing of, you know, it's hard to top just... In terms of comedy, it's always hard to top. Just these two guys are clowns. They're just they're just silly, and they're just you know they're 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 idiots. They're, I mean, Harris saying "stop hanging yourself" is so funny, and it's like this is. And and by the way, I think we lucked out a little bit because I believe we at some point cast Harris earlier in the show as a pizza delivery boy, um, and he 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 literally had a hat that said pizza on it, and then his scene got cut. So he didn't appear in that episode, and so he was able to be this character, which obviously became a recurring character. And so um, that was kind of a blessing in disguise. And, and these characters would keep coming back. And again, Harris, one of the one of the most important writers on the show, and, and uh, you know, sadly passed away um, a few years ago. But 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 you know, it just it's so every time I, I see him, you know, in in the show, it, it makes me smile. Because uh, he's so funny. And
2: Colton Dunn, who was. Went yes. on to I I after um my time on this I was developing a show uh an MB, a comedy for NBC and I immediately stole him and he was in yeah. it with me and and then yeah.
3: he went r- from that to uh to Superstore Superstore yeah. many 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 seasons on Superstore and, and Colton Dunn is yeah he's 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 made it he's one of those people you keep grinding you know he was over at UCB grinding working in comedy and then uh, now now he's series regular on shows so
4: Harrison Brett Animal Control. warmer sunnier days are calling fuel up for them with factors no prep no mess meals now factors fresh never-frozen meals are dietitian approved which is awesome, and they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. So, so good. I love this stuff. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore to help you crush your wellness goals. And let me tell you what I crush. They have a smoky bacon and cheddar egg bite that is... Mm, 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 good. Mm. I tried their shakes also and they were so good. Oh, I'm a factor fan. Head to factormealscom slash parks and recs 50 and use code parks and 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code parks and recs 50 at Factormeals.com slash Parks and Recs 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free, That is so true, Greg. LinkedIn knows that as a small business owner, you don't have the time or the resources to spend countless hours looking for the right person for the job. So they have launched a new feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. And it isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching. In fact, get this, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Wow, that's impressive. That's amazing. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash parks. That's linkedin.com slash parks to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
3: Andy, with the... Opossum. Yes, the North American Virginia opossum. Yeah, crawling. I wrote the same thing. It's crawling all over him. It's insane. It's it's, you. He's not squeamish about it. I. I I mean, look, we chose the right actor to do that because I like. Like, there's some other actors in the show who would have been game to touch it, but it is crawling all over him, over him, and
2: you know that it's on my
3: neck, and that's just him saying, you know, that's him doing what's happening. Yes, I, I mean, I don't think I'd want that crawling on me. It's, it's a, it's, it's. You ever have you ever had an opossum like in your garage or anything? Oh and had yeah, to, like, scare it away. Yeah. They're, oh, when I they're weird looking. They're weird looking. They got those like white faces. The, it's like uh, they they have those like ghostly white faces.
2: Yeah, particularly when you see them at night because you just see that white face.
4: Yes, Ugh. your car
3: headlights Blech. or something illuminate illuminate their faces, and it's like it's like a. They're kind of cute in some ways, but also kind of repulsive. <laughs> it's kind of both, yeah. right? So the duality of possums, right? Um, yeah. But but yeah, you got to get a broom, get them out of your garage.
2: <laughs> yeah, the, and and just the cutting to him. Anytime you cut to a silly animal in parks, it has always been when she goes, oh, there he is," and
3: you rip <laughs> <it's a laughs> it, it makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> We do that with we do that with raccoons earlier, right? It's like I mean <laughs> it's always it always makes me laugh to have animals in shows and it's uh, you know it, it, they're very unpredictable, right? It's like the the I mean we had possums on, we obviously had dogs on at some point and then we had raccoons on and cuz it's uh, some, some something funny to me about the animal wrangler who comes with the animal oh. and it's like they it, it, sometimes it seems like they like they're not they're not trained in any way. <laughs> if you're dealt with animal wranglers, they're just like, Hey, can the animal do this thing? And they're like, yeah, he can do it. And then you just, he can't do it at all. Like, you're like, are you just lying? Well, that, he, he clearly can't do it. That
2: always made me laugh. And I, I, I did a movie called behind the candelabra and Matt Damon's character was, oh. wanted to get into Hollywood. And so he was an animal trainer at the beginning of it. And, he, and Matt Damon is the animal trainer in the beginning of, of <laughs> Behind the Candelabra. It tells you everything you need to know about animal training. <laughs> uh, it's so good, man. How is, how is, that was a Soderbergh film, right? Yeah. I, have a, I just want to add this, that um, Joanna brilliantly has given me a piece of uh, information on the opossum that I definitely need to share. Because it might, it might be the grossest thing that I've heard in a long time. Newborn opossums are about the size of a grain of rice. Oh, That's god. gotta be the grossest thing ever. Can you imagine them like mealing around
3: like 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 ten of them? It's troubling. I I oh my god. It also says they just ate more quickly than any other animal. The opossum gives birth to 16 to 20 babies, only 12 to 13 days after mating. Oh, the whole thing. <laughs> it, now, it feels like the opossum is part marsupial, part insect, yes. the way it's, it's being spoken about here. Oh. It's like 12 days after mating? <laughs> A grain of You're rice? Giving birth. You're giving birth? Now, I I, I kind of wish I hadn't learned that information, Joanna. I told you. <laughs> that, that is very troubling. <laughs> Uh, normally not squeamish but that is that is uh that is bad that is bad it is what it is it's very funny that we we use uh, we use Nick's real wood shop in this one. So that Nick is Offerman the wood has shop. a wood shop. Yes, that is his wood shop. Um, and we visited that workshop early on in in the run of the show, and we decided to uh, uh, you know Mike decided to to make him into woodworking the character. So we ended up shooting shooting here for uh, this episode, and and that's kind of cool.
2: I remember I, I, in later episodes, um, Chris Traeger shows up at the at the wood shop. And I was blown away that this was Nick's real place. It's like it's a well now. It's a total business. He has yeah whatever Offerman Woodworking, and he has you know yes. employees, and it's a little factory. It's a
3: real, real deal thing. Yeah, he is the real deal too. He 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 can do. And and I don't know if you ever got into this, but at a certain point, he was making little things for people in the cast, and they would request you know, like a table from him. And then he got so backed up. He's like, it's going to be, year. he's like, I'm, I'm sorry. It's going to take several years. He just said, so many things in the pipeline. He's like, I'd love to make you a table, but it's going to take, you. so yeah, he made, he made a couple of tables or, or little, little stools and stuff for, for friends and, and, and cast members. When
2: Chris's time on the show was over, Nick made me this gorgeous wooden box, big box that housed all of the other rap gifts that I was given. And it's got a, has a plaque on it with everybody's names, characters' names. And then, uh, I think right at the end was at the time we realized that Jerry's name was Gary and not Jerry. In fact, I think the box might be in the show. I think it is in the well when we get to it, we'll find out if that's the box that I ended up get, get getting
3: to keep but Nick made it and it's gorgeous. There's something so satisfying about being able to make something with your hands. He's it, like I made this and it's like if that's your hobby it's just like oh wow you made this this thing and you can give a physical object to people. If your talent is something more ethereal it's like it's like I wrote this script for you. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> this is nothing <laughs> somehow not as satisfying. It's like, it's an FDX file. It's a final draft file. You can open it up on your computer. I remember, um, one of my reoccurring
2: nightmares is I remember woodshop as a kid in Malibu yeah. park, junior high, Mr. Poole's woodshop. And I can't make anything with my hands. I mean, nothing. And, and But I'm imaginative and I'm a creator, so I had in my mind what I wanted to make vividly, but no way to do it. And I remember how frustrating it was and it was like, Depressing and aggravating, and I had to figure out a way to maneuver my way through that class, knowing full well I was never going to be able to deliver a final
3: project. <laughs> it Wasn't even an <laughs> that's, issue. It's just not that's going to happen. very frustrating. Are you are you handy around the house? Do you fix things around the house? Hell no. i love that answer man i love that answer i i find a small pride i i wouldn't say i'm handy necessarily yard work i'm yeah watering the lawn mowing the lawn
2: you know doing some Gardening. gardening that i i'm i do enjoy and i feel like that pride of work doing it but i i'm not um i'm not changing light bulbs even but my house is really dark because all the light bulbs have not been changed.
3: <laughs> it just—it's just like hope this one lasts a long time because I ain't changing it. That's right. No, I—I I find certainly during uh, during pandemic times also like. I was buying some stuff and it just kind of enjoyed putting them together and there wasn't huge projects oh, it was like I bought ugh. I bought a wait, I bought a weight bench and I put together oh, no, a weight bench and no. then I and then I, I bought some like heaters for outside no. and I just like kind of like assembling and them the fucking bolts and like the <laughs> yeah. A thing goes into the B
2: thing oh my god I kind of
3: like it I kind of like it my, my girlfriend came home and I was like you know she was like you just like building this thing I was like kind of I mean I don't do it all the time but it's kind of fun I I um, I
2: have um you know, I'm a big believer in therapy. I've, I've been in therapy forever and, and I, w- along with my therapist, we've, co- I think coined a phrase, I have what is called an Ikea complex. Okay. And that is, a, it's, it's a fear of not knowing how to do something. Like, because mm. for me, IKEA, when I pass and I like, like that's a living hell for me, an Ikea. Like, you know, having to put together like my son's bookshelves at his dorm. college like that's honestly for me that is just an abject impossibility and something that gives me just even talking about it gives me agita
3: that that's so i i think i have something of an ikea complex too i was talking to my therapist rob and, (laughs) and 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 you know i think we have something in common which is that i know this sounds kind of obvious but I, I really like things I'm good at. I think yes. growing up, it was like, I was good at, st- right. I was, I was a good student. I was pretty good at sports and like, you know, like I played music and I was like, oh, I, I excelled at stuff. And that's, you know, not to get too therapeutic with our speak, but like with our talk, but uh you know, you got, you, you got love from that, right. It's like you you, you, you achieve and, and you get some love and, and then later in life, you know. You don't ever want to be afraid to try things that you that, that you're not necessarily good at, you know. Like I think that's something that that maybe both of us can can work on, you know. And, and you know, you focus,
2: you double down on the things
3: you are good at, it because nobody's good exactly. at exactly. Yes, Ex- yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, that was there. Th- I feel like we just went through a little bit of therapy.
3: So much <laughs> that's better. Like that said I'm, I'm still not going to
2: IKEA and buying a bunch of shit I got to assemble. That's not happening. Yeah,
3: hey, get it. You can get a task rabbit to do it. Yeah. You get a task rabbit or a task possum. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> Uh, what is the character's name that comes to, that works for the mayor? Who comes? Evelyn. Really believable, super believable.
3: Judith Moreland. But yeah, and it was like obviously we we didn't want to see the mayor for a long time, so she's just kind of playing his emissary. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought Judith did a great job.
2: Yeah, she was great. I totally believed it. And then who is it that screams at the end? I'm. Gonna, you're going to fry when the the, po- oh. the possums in the. I'm, is it
3: her? It's her. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it <laughs> it's might her. Be her oh man did you notice also that Anne is not really in this one until like the last two seconds (laughs) i don't think she's in the episode until the very end i know that was was interesting too she's
2: probably doing listen that everybody on the cast had side hustles going 24 7 and uh you know wouldn't be surprised me if she she was in the cutting room on jesse and celeste what was the new that amazing movie yeah, she did? yeah
3: remember she Yeah, her celeste and jesse forever that was her and uh andy sandberg by the way her that movie is fucking brilliant that movie is it's so good right
2: good yeah
3: so good yeah it was great and and i think she wrote that movie didn't she, she wrote she it, it with, started with will yeah yeah she's a very talented writer and in addition to being a talented actress and she can sing what 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 can't she do you know what can't she do that's mm, uh, everybody on the shows like that though Really, truly. Well, that's what you're saying. The side hustle thing. Well, again, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show before, but if you look at the cast of this show, everybody went on to do pretty amazing things. <laughs> it's like, you look back, it's like, oh my God, all these people went on to star and stuff. The guy with you know? two lines won like the Academy cool.
2: Award. What more do we need to <laughs> say? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or
3: it was I guess nominated. It's, it was a, it's a charmed cast. And, and same with the writing staff. A lot of the writers went on to create shows and, and write movies and stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's you know, you go back in time, and you couldn't, you know, you couldn't assemble this you cast today. It would be too expensive. It would be too expensive. You not only would it, it, it be too expensive, you everybody is so busy that you just literally could not
2: do it. I mean, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's amazing that we were able to put people back together for the
3: um for the the little retrospective thing we did for yeah. COVID. yeah. That reunion thing was really fun that and and, and uh, remember the thing at the, the the thing we did at the the Paley Center thing? Oh yeah you were at that right sure. That was really fun too. It was kind of a reunion like 10 years or I don't know five six years after the show ended but we did a little uh, a panel thing at, at a Paley Festival. It was at the Kodak theater I think and it was crazy. It was like sold out like thousands of people and then we had a party afterwards. That was really fun. Just for one second
2: I think we should talk about Mike Scully. we've talked we've referred to him a bunch in the past. But anybody who's um, who's watched The Simpsons sees his name uh, on every single episode, and I've actually worked with Scully on other shows as well. He's he's such a comedic genius that he has a career where he will just come in, you know, on one day a week on a show and just pitch jokes, and they are always so killer. I think he's got it, don't you think? He's probably the single
3: best like joke guy around. I I don't disagree with that. He is one of the funniest people who has ever lived. (laughs) Like he's so, he's so fun and, and and also one of my favorite people, just like the nicest guy. And I loved having him in the room. He just has this warm energy. He's, you know, and he always, always like in terms of like career wise, such an idol because, you know, comedy writing is, 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 is tough. It's even tougher as you kind of get older, right? Because it's like as you get older, you're like, um, oh it's a, it's in some ways a young person's profession. Like I look at my writing staff now, and it's it's kids in their twenties and thirties, right? That is that that is like that's generally the 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 uh, the demographic. And and Scully has been around, and and he was you know an older guy in the room, but no one faster, no one funnier. He would come in the morning pop open a diet Red Bull and just start pitching jokes. And it's like this guy, you know, he, 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 I don't know. I can't say enough good things about him. I I, I really felt like I made it. I made it in the world when um, I was helping to run the room and I would be typing at the computer. And Mike Scully was pitching jokes to me. And I was like, oh man, like I have so much respect for this guy. And this is like, I I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't say enough good things about him.
2: It's funny, you touched on something that I, the why is it that comedy is, and it's true, it's a young man's game and there's some like, what what is that, I guess, what is that about? I mean, and, and then why is it that there are guys unlike Mike Scully and it's another thing that makes him so special, that
3: guy has not lost one mile per hour off of his fastball. Not one. Uh, it's, I think some people are unicorns and I think it's like, it's like Tom Brady playing football at 44, LeBron playing at 37. It's like, if you're really, really, really good to start with, then then you can sort of get through. But I think for, for me comedy it, it, comedy's tricky because it's very much it very much has to do with the climate of the country in some ways and, the, and sort of like being in touch with what society is like. Mm. I know those sound like really really grand proclamations. Mm, no, but it doesn't.
2: This is making
3: perfect it, sense because yeah and, and, and we get more yeah. out of touch the older we get. We just do. We
2: have to yes. fight to remain.
3: You do, well, you touch. do, and 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 stay stay clued in, and you think about, you know, we've talked before about how, you know, comedy it, it age it's tough for it to age, you know, it's like a comedy from the nineties, the eighties, the seventies, the sixties. It's, it's kind of more of its era. You can watch a drama from, from a long time ago and it's it, it those themes are often the same. Comedy is a little bit more specific to a time and a place and a society. And so I think when all of those things are factored in, it's tough to to keep your fastball, like you were saying. And, but but Scully is the rare exception. And we he was so good in the room that we had jokes that we termed Scully jokes where it was like the most efficient, the most sort of um, concise, the most like, very quick turns very sort of surprising ending of a sentence like like he was able that's just the way his brain works and he's also an example of you know one more thing about him you know he didn't have family connections or you know he didn't know anyone in the business he he was he told us the story he was a custodian at like a community college i believe in 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 the boston area and he just moved out to la started doing up and, and writing jokes for Yakov Smirnov and became a writer and became like one of the most important writers of The Simpsons, one of the, which is arguably the greatest comedy or show of, of the last 50 years, right? And so you can come, that's another, by the way, another showbiz story we're talking about, we're talking about Paul Ratchie. Think about Mike Scully. You know, you move out to Hollywood, you have nothing, you, you're writing jokes on the back of a napkin and then, you know, 20 years later, you're running The Simpsons. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. That's, I mean, there's nothing more to add.
2: After that, I think on that note, we go to the town hall.
0: Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean...
2: It's time for a, uh, a Parks and Rec uh, uh, town hall, but this is very exciting. We're actually going to hear one. This isn't just going to be reading an email. I'm, I'm told by our our crack staff. So this is the, we're going to actually hear from a listener. So um, let's let's do it.
3: A very special town hall, and since it's an audio town hall, maybe we'll do it from the radio studio where Crazy Iron the Douche uh, uh, occupy their radio show. So so we're doing it from their studio, and let's hear uh, let's hear the clip.
0: Hey, Rob Allen and the Parks and Rec family. This is Rachel from California, and I am literally your biggest fan. I've always wanted to know who in the cast was the most prepared and who would mess up their lines the most. Thank you.
2: What a great question, because I actually I I, I can tell you I got I got your answers. Um, Amy Poehler was raising two kids uh, producing the show. You know, very much involved in the writing, um sometimes directing and sometimes she actually was writing, and she's basically in every scene and had been doing years and years of the show. So a lot of times Amy would literally be on set and kind of looking at it for the first time. So you'd often get you'd often get um two or three takes where it's clear Amy is working her way into being comfortable, right? Um, Aziz. Uh, now everybody stares at their phones, right? But if you look at if you look at Parks and Rec phones, they're dated. There's like literally the ones with the pearls pearl ball that rolls around. So this was pre. It's hard to imagine everybody having an iPhone and staring at it every five seconds, which now everybody does. But in those days, Aziz was the trailblazer, and he was always on his phone. He'd be on his phone during takes when he wasn't talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's in character <laughs> and and there were times when with i would i would come particularly when i first arrived and didn't really know aziz's deal i was like is he does he know we're shooting does he he knows we're doing a take right he
3: he was so he was so addicted to his phone that he knew it was a problem so he was trying to quit using the phone so much at one point I believe he went to a hypnotist to try to get him to stop using his phone. And then at some point, he's so, this is really wild. He bought a cookie jar. It's a special kind of cookie jar that you uh, can lock and put a timer on so that you don't eat cookies. But instead of cookies, he put his phone in it so that he couldn't use it for a certain length of time. Now he has a essentially a burner phone. So he doesn't carry around a smartphone a lot of the time. He uses a brick phone that doesn't connect to the internet. And it has like, it, you can just make calls or something and you can't browse the internet. and he doesn't have email anymore. So he's really like trying to quit all that stuff, which is really, I mean, he realizes it was a problem. <laughs> he realized it was a problem for sure.
2: That's so funny. I had no idea, but yeah, it was, it, and then, and then you had actors who were, per, were as prepared as they were ever going to be. And by choice, didn't want to be that prepared. And that would be Pratt.
3: Yes, that that sounds very accurate.
2: Right? And and then um I would say I fall under the prepared category along with Nick. Um super duper prepared. Maybe it's cuz we're both Midwestern
3: pleasures to have in class boys. He he actually is from Indiana. Dutiful dutiful teacher's pets. But no, I I was definitely yeah, Nick Nick always, you know, comes from theater just really had his lines down to the word, you know.
2: Yeah, and, and then and then I think the rest of the cast falls somewhere somewhere in in the middle. But no one ever had quote unquote trouble with their lines. Because to me, what that means is somebody who literally can't or won't get their lines right and they're out there. Those people are for sure out there. And
3: not but not on this show. Our cast was pretty good about that. And it's you know, it's it's not an easy show necessarily. There's you know, but but it's certainly it felt easy when everyone was prepared, which which they generally were, you know. It was it was always like, it, it, you know, it, it, it was just a smooth shoot almost almost always, and and that was uh, that was a joy. Yeah, I've been on
2: shows where ensembles where you you go, it's a, it's a little bit like hot potato sometimes where, you know, particularly if you, if, if the pace is, like on a Parks and Rec, it's funny, it's comedy, it's got to be fast. Or West Wing, it's Aaron Sorkin, the faster the better, and you're you throw the potato, the potato, the potato, and then you know it's about to get to somebody and you know they're going to drop it, you just know it. And then even when they don't drop it, the fact that you're thinking they are going to drop it fucks you up. It's just a nightmare when you have one person who can't uh, toss the hot potato.
3: It is agony. I, I, I've i been on sets where it's 10, 12 takes, and they, it just, they just can't get it right. And you're like, oh, man, this is... And I feel bad for all the other actors. I feel bad for the crew. Um, and the other corollary to that which didn't happen that much in our show is people who can't stop breaking, so they're just laughing, and it's just like you're—they're just busting takes left and right. And you're like, oh my god, it's—we're twelve takes, and you have—you have got to stop laughing. You have got to stop laughing. Really good question. Thank you so much. We—I I love the voicemail idea. Let's let's do more of them. Send in your voicemails. Yeah, let's bring it. Um. It, thank you all for listening This was a, a particularly
2: good one I had a great time as always And a lot of that is because of my partner Alan Yang Thank you
3: Alan, you're a genius as always Thank you Rolo Pleasure to do the pod with you And thank you Producer Schulte Thank you Joanna And uh, bye from Punny
2: Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine And me Rob Schulte Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Cocoa production in association
0: with Stitcher. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because...